And with him, the transformation from going from 20,000 a month to 200,000 a month in 30 days was so crazy. So much value was generated there in such a short period of time. In this interview, Andrew Kirby explains how he helped Hamza, a creator with over 2 million subscribers, go from $20,000 a month to $200,000 a month in just 30 days. So having that belief shift in his mind, plus combining that with actual real tangible monetization vehicle, which for him was a paid community on school.com, was the thing that allowed him to go from $20,000 a month to $200,000 a month. Andrew is a YouTuber who has put out content on productivity, stoicism, and using leverage to craft the life that you want. Recently, Andrew has been helping companies create more content and helping creators make more money. So the way I think about money is that desire is the thing that drives the economy. Andrew shared a ton of value and even a surprise at the end. So stick around to find out what it is because Andrew is more than happy to do it for free. Let's get started. I was at university day one studying my marketing degree. I realized that what I thought it was not what it was and that the education I was receiving on marketing online on YouTube for free was a thousand times better than the education I was paying tens of thousands of dollars for. Made the promise to myself that I was going to find a way out. Knew it was somewhere in the internet, but didn't know the exact path. Eventually ended up creating my first YouTube video about the philosophy of stoicism, moved on to personal development, then productivity and more business sort of stuff. And that was the vehicle that got me out, but it was a bumpy journey. Can you say a bit more about this bumpy journey? It got to the point where I had uploaded at least once a week for around a year. I think I had around a hundred thousand subscribers, but I was maybe making $1,000, $2,000 a month. So not enough for me to quit university. And it was that painful period of having an audience, knowing that I had the potential to do more, but in reality, not having the finances to be able to confidently drop out and go all in. Then I figured out some of the monetization things. So for me, it was a cohort based course called time theory that helped people beat procrastination. That was the main vehicle ended up doing around a million in revenue over the course of a year and a couple of months. So that was the specific tangible vehicle that got me to the point where I no longer had to do something I hated. Can you talk a bit more about why you decided to do a cohort-based course versus an asynchronous course or some other model that YouTubers or creators usually gravitate towards? So the way I think about money is that desire is the thing that drives the economy. So people spend money to solve their problem or reach a goal of theirs, which are the same thing because if someone has a problem, they have a goal to resolve the problem. So if someone has a desire and you can fulfill their desire, they'll give you money. So if you have an audience, the way you make the most money is by thinking, how do I add the most value to my audience? How do I help my audience achieve their goals, fulfill their desires? And the most effective ways that I've found to do that always involve community. It's not enough just to give people videos in a course that's gated. The results that they get aren't going to be incredible. Whereas if you combine people with a group of people that are all striving to achieve the same goal, then the results are a lot better. So that's why I went with cohort base. How did you think about pricing the course? With cohort based courses, they're incredibly price inelastic, meaning if you double the price, sales don't drop by a half, which means that the further you push the price up, the more money that you'll end up making. Plus the better results you'll end up getting your customers because you have fewer customers, which means you can invest more time in each of them. So general principle is that the more you charge, the more you'll make. What exactly did that end up panning out for your course in particular? 
there was two prices. One of them was for students. One of them was for entrepreneurs and the average person, which was 3,800. And for students, it was 1,900. So 50% off. I saw that video testimonial that Hamza posted. Can you give a little bit of backstory on your path with Hamza and helping him go from 20,000 a month to $200,000 a month? We started speaking and he sent me a screenshot of some of the income that he was making, which was $20,000 a month, which was a lot. He was really happy for that, which is a ton of money. Don't get me wrong. But if you're a YouTuber with a sizable audience, you can be making a lot more than that. So I basically responded to the screenshot he sent with me saying, congratulations, it's incredible. But I also think you can be making a lot more. He had the belief that making money wasn't a good thing. It's, I don't know, the, it's either like a scarcity mindset or it's just the belief that to make money, you have to take from somebody else. Whereas there's a hundred percent the possibility, and I've seen it time and time again, to get someone's money and have them be incredibly happy. That's what capitalism's built upon. Someone pays you money and you provide more value to them than the money that they paid you. And that's a hundred percent the reality that can happen. So having that belief shipped in his mind, plus combining that with actual real tangible monetization vehicle, which for him was a paid community on school.com was the thing that allowed him to go from $20,000 a month to $200,000 a month. Oh, why specifically for him a community? Because we've seen a lot of creators monetize in a bunch of different ways. The classic is you start with sponsorships, then you drop some merch, and then you're like, ah, I'm going to do a DTC company. And also, of course, either asynchronous, but in 2020 during the pandemic, cohort-based course. And then we're also starting to see a paid communities like Lenny. Why did it make sense for Hamza to do a paid community? It comes back to how can you add the most value to your audience? And for him, it just happened to be a community. His audience is an audience of young men on personal development journey, many of which, when you start that sort of a journey, distance themselves from their friends. Plus, combined with the fact that loneliness is now at an all-time high, community was an opportunity for him to really make a product that his audience would love. And I think it worked really well for him. The problem with AdSense is that it's reliant on your views and your views go up and down, which means it's not a reliable source of income. Nobody likes sponsorships. The viewers don't like sponsorships. The creators don't like dealing with people that do the sponsorships. Courses, like I said, asynchronous, the results are never incredible. Merch is okay. It's okay. If you have a huge audience, then merch makes sense because you just want to create something that all of your audience wants to buy, which is a t-shirt. Everyone wears t-shirts or jumpers or whatever. So merch makes sense for them. Whereas for Hamza, it just made sense to have a community. I think that was the place where he could add the most value to his audience. With the community, you said it was priced at $500 buy-in and then $99 per month after that. So that's great in two different ways, right? One is you get this bulk upfront payment, but then also now you have actual recurring revenue. So you don't have to go out and sell a thing and then sell it again and then sell it again. How did you think about that sort of pricing? There's a really good quote. I believe it's from Alex Formosi that says the bigger the head, the longer the tail, which means that the more you can charge up front, the lower churn is going to be on the back end. And the reason for that is because if someone spends $500 month one, and then for them to cancel at the end of month one, they've paid $500 for one month. Whereas if they stay for two months, which is $500, then $99, they paid $600 for two months, which means now their average is $300 a month. So every month you stay, your average monthly payment actually gets cheaper which is so strange. If you were just to charge $99 at the front and then $99 a month afterwards, 
churn would be higher than if you're able to charge 500 upfront than 99 afterwards. Holy shit. That is crazy. That makes so much sense now that I think about it. It goes back to the sunk cost fallacy in a sense, right? Have you tried I mean, this in the past or is this the first time that you've tried this? I've seen it happen and I've seen it work time and time again. I believe this was the first time that I was actively involved in having someone do this. But Alex Hormozzi has another pricing hack that I think you'll like if you like that one. It's a little bit shady, but I'm sure it works. It's instead of charging payments once a month, you charge payments every 28 days, which pretty much sounds like once a month, but by the end of the year, you get a 10% increase in revenue just from that subtle shift. And I believe all of the gym memberships on like Amazon Prime use this sort of a membership pricing as well. I feel like if you're playing a long game, it doesn't really make sense. I'd rather keep integrity with my customers versus making 10% extra on this specific subscription. 100%. So Hams is not the only person that you've been helping in the creative space. You also mentioned that you've been working with James Johnny. Can you say a little bit more about what his type of content is and what you've been doing with him? James Johnny has, I think it's 1.5 million subscribers and he's uploaded 20 videos, which means that every video he uploads gets him like 100,000 subscribers, something crazy like that. His videos are basically documentaries that 30 to 45 minute long, incredibly well edited, incredible storytelling. And it's been a huge opportunity to learn studying under someone like that and helping him grow, helping him build a team, monetize all of those sorts of things. The secret to it all is just attention to detail. James just has an insanely high bar for quality and an insane attention to detail. And that is the only differentiator between him and other people. How have you been helping him? James is a solo creator, which means that he can only upload once every three months or something like that for the quality of videos he's been making. When I started working with him, it had actually been nine months since his last upload because he was just obsessing and trying to make the video as good as possible. So I was helping him to hire, build out a team so that it's not just him, helping him systemize the content creation process so that he could upload more frequently, as well as helping him with monetization. When you help someone like James, what are the first things that you look at? You want to build out systems, you want to build out a team. What's the order of operations there? And what are the few things that matter? Your first step is figure out what he wants. It's impossible to know what to do unless you know what someone wants. Then it's to figure out what are the bottlenecks that are stopping him from getting what he wants. So with him, we started and he had a video that he was almost finished with that he was planning on uploading in maybe a month or two. And the only thing that was less was motion graphics. So then we got together and we thought, how can we speed up this process as much as possible to get this video out as soon as possible? And the answer we came up with was getting motion graphics designers and contracting them out and getting lots of them so we can get it done as quickly as possible. So we basically went out, started the hiring process, got people to do trial tasks, found the best motion graphics editors, put them on the task. So it was literally just what's the bottleneck and how can we resolve that as quickly as possible to get the video out? Then there was more longer term projects related to hiring and monetization that we were doing as like a secondary project. But for James, the main thing is just making incredible videos. So most of the work was how can we make videos as good, if not better, but improve the frequency of upload. In building a team, what makes sense for him? Because there are a few things that go into like a ton of research, like editing, the storytelling, the thumbnails, etc. What parts does he choose to outsource or like hire contractors for, or even like full-time employees versus what does he 
choose to do himself to retain the magic. How do you draw that line? I think videos can be simplified to writing, recording, editing. Writing includes research and writing. So it makes sense to have someone that can do that sort of a skill. Then there's recording, which James has to do. And then there's the editing and under editing, there's actual editing. And then there's the motion graphics sort of stuff. So first hire for James was motion graphics people on the editing side, then a research writer. And then the final hire will be an editor that can also do motion graphics. And really with a three person team, you have the YouTuber, you have a writer researcher, and you have an editor. You can really get a lot done with that being the core team. How do you go about either A, finding someone who has similar taste or similar attention to detail that you do, or training them in such a way that they can get to your level? There's a good phrase that when hiring, you can either pay with time, or you can pay with money. If you have money, which Flow Research Collective, another company I'm working for, which we can talk about in a second, they have money. So they're just looking for the best of the best, which basically means you want to find, hire someone with batteries included. You want to hire someone that solved the problem that you're trying to solve. So you just put them in place. They do exactly what they've done before with someone else for you. With someone like James, who isn't so financially, isn't so far along on his journey, you have to focus more on training people up. So you pay with time. So you find someone as potential, and then you work with time to train them to where you want to get to. And really it's about finding like the essence of the human. Do they have similar core values to you? Especially if you're, you're going down there paying with time route. It's less about where they are now and more about their potential. Did you put any systems in place to increase the frequency of his uploads? With James, I think the most frequent we'll ever be able to get him to upload is around once a month, which even then isn't that quick of a cycle, which means that it doesn't make a huge amount of sense to focus on the systems. You just want to focus on doing it. If you're getting a video out once every two days, then you really want to systemize it. So with James, more of the focus was placed on whenever a lesson was learned or a mistake was made. How do we make sure that we never make that mistake again? How do we make sure we never, how can we remember? We always remember that lesson. So with him, one of the things that was beneficial during the scripting process was to have somebody that could bounce ideas off of. So if you just make sure that you document all of the mistakes you make, you learn the lessons, then the way I view it is it's like a slow ball, a snowball that's rolling down a hill. And if you make a mistake, but you forget it, it's like a chunk of the snow falls off of the snowball. What you want to have happen is that every bit of snow that gets picked up in the snowball sticks so that eventually the snowball gets bigger and bigger over time. So for him, it was less about what systems do we create? It was him just going through the creative process. Whenever a lesson was learned, writing it down, documenting it, and making sure that mistake was never made again. Flow Research Collective, how did you start working with them? What do they do and what have you been doing for them? Yeah. So Flow Research Collective is a research and training company. They basically pioneer the scientific research into the flow state. And I found them because the owner bought consulting.com which is a training company that helps people start online businesses. So I reached out to Sam Ovens, who I'm friends with, who's the founder of consulting.com, asked for an intro for him to the new CEO of consulting.com, the guy that bought it, which was a guy called Rian Doris. And got in contact with him, was talking with him, and he was basically saying that he's an eight, he has an eight-figure business for the research collective. 
and is looking to go from ads to content and looking to dominate content. And they were looking for someone that could help lead the project. So it can help building the team, start processes, put every, all the systems in place, basically get the machine running. And that was how I got in contact with him. So yeah, that's what I've been doing. Similar to James, I've been building the team, putting in the systems in place and getting them producing. And the team we built is insane. I'm so proud of it. We have a guy called Angus Parker, who was Ali Abdal's general manager. Editor used to edit for Tony Robbins and Mike Tyson. And the videographer was the videographer for Tom Bilyeu, as well as Tony Robbins' family. So it's like a small team, but A players. And it's been so fun to work with them. You put out a tweet yesterday, which was, let me just read it out. I'm looking to help nine more influential creators make between 100,000 and 500,000 a month in 28 days, like you did for Hunter. You'll do it for free. So there's like the setting up the content piece. And then there's also the helping people monetize better piece. Which one are you leaning towards more? Mm, great question. I love both of them. It's kind, there's kind of two areas that I see I can add a lot of value. One of them is with consultants that have a successful business that are looking to go out the content. The other one is with content creators that have the audience, but just need a monetization positive. So it's two groups of people, two problems, and they're flipped. One of them has monetization, but needs traffic. One of them has traffic, but needs monetization. And both of them, I think I can help and add value. Hamza was an example of someone that has the audience, but needed monetization. And with him, the transformation from going from 20,000 a month to 200,000 a month in 30 days was so crazy. So much value was generated there in such a short period of time that it's really interesting and fun to do that sort of thing. So I want to explore that more. I do think helping consultants build out the audience is insanely valuable. It just takes much longer than 30 days to build an actual real valuable asset. Although maybe in the long run, that's better. But for now, the project that's fun to me and that's exciting to me is to do what I did with Hamza, find other creators that have 100,000 subscribers or followers plus that I can help monetize. And yeah, I'm in a learning phase, so I'm more than happy to do it for free. Do you have a goal with this or is it just like fun? You're learning a bunch and you are actually creating a tremendous value in the world. How are you thinking about this? I would say the three core values are impact, income, and fun. And whatever vehicle I can do to maximize those three things is a great vehicle for me. I'm looking to play this internet business online, great online game thing that we're doing for the next 70, 80 years, which when viewed in that lens, money matters a lot less and connections and learnings matter a lot more as well as like case studies, like positioning of yourself, what you've done, the experience you've had matters a ton more. So at the moment, that's where all of my focus is. How can I generate the most value in the world? How can I go where I need it? How can I learn loads of lessons, push myself, experience loads of different things? That's what my focus is. If you're a creator, yeah, with a hundred thousand subscribers or followers, I'll help you monetize for free. Compelling offer. How are you thinking about playing the, on the great online game? So you want to play this for 70 years. You're in the learning phase. What do you think this looks like when you're playing on such long time horizons? A huge part about it is following intrinsic motivation instead of extrinsic motivation. Doing things that you love, doing things that you can get obsessed about. Because if you allow yourself to get obsessed over those things, you just learn a hundred times more than someone that's just dabbling. So a large part about it is following my curiosity, going where the Naval quote, where work feels like play, because I find that 
the more I do that, the more I'm able to learn, the more opportunities I'm able to have, the more I'm able to connect with people. Because if you're just obsessed over something, the volume of effort is like 50 times X than someone that's just doing it because they want to make some money or whatever. So the longer the time horizon, the more it makes sense to follow intrinsic motivation because the more it makes sense to prioritize learning and the best way to learn loads is by following your obsession. So there's following your curiosity and then there's focus. How do you think about balancing the two? Well, I don't even know if I have a good answer. I feel like the best case scenario is you find one vehicle, one opportunity vehicle that allows you to pursue your curiosity within that one opportunity vehicle. I don't have this at the moment. Even me, as I was describing, there's two different niches, two different transformations. Ideally, you just have one. You have one opportunity vehicle. So you can obsess over that one specific thing. I really think the amount of power that can come from obsessing over one thing is wild. So that's the best case scenario. And I think you probably, like everyone in their career goes through phases. There's a good phrase that you want to explore and then exploit. So you want to explore a bunch of different opportunities. And then when you find one where it's good, you exploit, you go all out, you say no to everything for a season of no, you just focus, focus, focus. And I think there's a ton of utility that can come from doing. How do you know when to flip the switch? There's a quote that says when it's easy, go hard. So when things are working in your favor, when it feels like things are going well, maybe your audience is growing really quickly or your business is making lots of money. At that point, most people would chill out. They'd go easy. I'm making the money I want to make. But it's exactly at that point when things click, things feel simpler than they did before and easier than they did before. You've got to go as hard as you possibly can, say no to everything and just go all in. You seem like a person who's very precise in both the things that you say and the things that you do. Would you say that's true? More so in the way I speak, less so in the things that I do. I still feel like I'm not, not as focused as I want to be. I want to be really focused. Why is that? I think that focus is a superpower. I think that if you're able to focus in a compounding vehicle and stay focused for a few years, the amount of things you can do is so much grander and cooler than you currently think is possible for your own life. What you're talking about is very reminiscent of what Alex Ramosi talks about. And I know we both like consume his content and you actually had the potential opportunity to work with him. So when Alex had maybe 2000 subscribers, I DM'd him on Instagram and was like, I'm happy to help you. I love your content. I could see he had a ton of potential. So we went backwards and forwards. I helped him grow his YouTube channel, sent him Loom videos, jumped on calls, got the fundamentals right so that he could really grow. And then at one point I mentioned to him that I was thinking of starting a business that did exactly what I did for Hamza. It's helping big creators monetize better. And at that point he was just starting up acquisition.com and he got really interested in that. We talked backwards and forwards, discussed terms, was very close to working together, but ended up falling through. But yeah, it was helping big creators figure out monetization. That was the business we were going to work on together. It's hard to see from the outside of how acquisition.com approaches deals, what their diligence process looks like, basically what they care about. Mm. And so as someone who has actually gone through the process, what are things that you've learned from that process? One of the core things that they're interested in is how much 
how much profit are you able to make factoring in costs of goods sold as well as cost to acquire the customer? So they want to have cost to acquire a customer be really small, cost to actually fulfill be really small, but price you can charge be really high. There's a quote from Charlie Munger that says you want to sell, it's like you want to sell sticky air, I think is the phrase that he uses, which is why Coca-Cola is so good. It's sticky. Once you drink it, you keep drinking it and it's air. You sell it for $2 and it costs five cents to make or something like that. So that's what they're looking for. They're looking for products that people buy and they keep buying. So it's sticky, but it's really cheap to get customers and deliver customers, but you're able to charge a good price. Now that you know the team and you've seen acquisition.com grow for a couple of years, what do you think about the acquisition.com model? I think it's really clever. I think it could be an opportunity vehicle that can get him to multi-billion in net worth. And basically, he's just found a transformation that he's incredibly good at helping companies that are making around a million a month go to multiple million a month. It's the same transformation. Like he gets very similar people, does very similar things, but yet is able to generate massive amounts of value. So he has what he's looking for in the companies he invests in acquisition.com. It's very sticky. Once you sign the contract, it's very difficult to get out of it. And it's air. It's pretty much just advice and consulting and those sorts of things. But yet the price he's able to charge is 10% revenue of your business, which is huge amounts of money. And yet it's worth doing for many people because he's just so good at delivering that transformation. Do you think you could do the same for helping creators monetize? Like with Hamza doing this with a few more people, do you think that's something that you would eventually consider pursuing? Yeah, there's definitely the option. And I also think I could take Hamza to around a million a month if I was to focus more on it. So there's definitely the option. It's a great idea from yourself to basically take a percentage of creators income and help them 10x their revenue, which I think a lot of creators can do. What does that look like? There's a few different things he could do. Definitely he needs a back end. So he has a front net offer, 500 upfront, 99 a month recurring afterwards. If he's able to add a Upsell a backend offer that's maybe 10K or something like that's a mastermind for entrepreneurs, something along those lines. Then the lifetime value he makes for each of his customers massively increases. He should definitely explore doing annual payment plans. He should definitely explore affiliates. So inside of his community, one of the things he's actually recently set up, which is incredible. Now people inside of his community can refer other people to the community and get some percentage of the sales. So it's similar to like Andrew Tate model, just mm -hmm. a lot less scammy. And I think that could do really well. And then just keep promoting it. It's only been out for a month and it's recurring revenue. So if he keeps doing it for a year and he gets the snowball going, then a middle month's definitely possible. How do you think about delivering on that value of the community? Because I've been part of paid communities and unpaid communities in the past and you join them. And it's all sunshine and rainbows initially. And then activity goes down. The quality of members also degrades over time. And then you're left and like, I just have this Slack or Discord or group chat that has some messages in sometimes. But honestly, it feels like spam. And so I just totally ignore it. How do you think about value that the people in this community actually receive? 
It doesn't matter if it's a course or a community or a cohort-based course or whatever. People want to achieve a goal and the mechanism is almost irrelevant. Hamza doesn't have a community. Hamza has a product that should help people get results. He did a survey recently of his audience about the biggest goals that they have. They want to get in better shape. They want to be more attractive to the opposite sex and they want to make more money. So the better Hamza can do those three things, the better the product is. And with community, it's interesting because you are who you surround yourself with. So most people just become like the people around them. Whereas if you can get a community where everyone's making progress towards those goals, then it almost becomes the default option for you to also make progress towards those goals. I would say those are the key levers. It's how can he most effectively get everyone in the community to actually make progress towards the things they care about? If he can do that, then there's a ripple effect where just by being surrounded by people that are doing the things you want to do, you'll probably do those things as well. Are you part of any communities besides your own community? Yeah, I'm part of loads and I've been a part of loads. One of the main ones was Quantum, which was a mastermind, which was hosted by Sam Ovens at consultant.com, which is now shut down. Why was the Sam Ovens community so valuable? Just to help me get what I want. It helped me make progress towards my goals. Yeah, it was Sam Ovens' up-level course, which was the course that took me from around 2K a month to 30K a month. So that was the big transformation with me. What did the makeup of that group look like? That one was, that was $36,000 a year. So very expensive. It was a hundred people. Once every quarter, there would be in-person meetups. Although I was in there for COVID, so we didn't get any in-person meetups. And then there was one Zoom call per week. So the actual deliverables was very limited, but with knowledge, you just need one or two things that can change the trajectory that you're on and everything changes. What changed? What was the big unlock there? What did you get from the community that allowed you to make that change? I just figured out how to effectively monetize an audience. How do you think about leverage? I view leverage as it, it almost feels like magic. Like with Hamza to be able to go from 20K to 200K a month with me just getting on a few Zoom calls with him, like the amount of value that was created with the tiny amount of time and effort that went into that is just mind blowing. And the only reason you can get access to that much leverage is because of the internet. It's like people do not appreciate how powerful this tool is. It's literally 30 years ago. If you told someone about that, it would feel like a magical, like it, it really feels like magic. Yeah, exactly. It, it's pretty insane. The amount, the outcome that you can achieve with such li little effort now with the internet and content with AI and like automations, it's really incredible. I think we're going to see many small teams, like one to three people making tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars every single year, just because of the leverage that the internet and AI and automation provides them. So code and content. For example, I'm not sure if you know of Midjourney. Okay. Yeah. So Midjourney, for those listening, is a way to generate AI images and they're incredibly realistic. And the team is only, I think, 11 people. And I think they make over $250 million a year, which is just incredible. So crazy. God, that's crazy. Yeah, absolutely ridiculous.
And so I'm very excited to see what people do in this regard, especially when people cross over with code and content. That is pretty magical. Cool. Those were all the things I wanted to touch on. Thank you once again for taking the time to chat with me. Where can people find out more about you? Probably the main place for both of those people is greatonlinegame.com. It's a free community for consultants and content creators. So both of those groups of people you mentioned will love the community at greatonlinegame.com. Or if you're on Twitter, follow me there. It's at I am Andrew Kirby. If you watch YouTube videos, it's youtube.com slash Andrew Kirby with an S on 